Thanks, Veronica, and good morning. It's great to be here with you. My name is Paul. I am one of the pastors and elders here, and it's just great to be gathered together. If I have not met you, I would love to do so. Feel free to come up after the service and say hi. And if you're a newcomer, we're actually having a welcome lunch right after the service at my home. You can come chat with me if you are free for lunch and would like to get to know some other newcomers from the church. Well, my wife and I live in Mountain View. We've lived there for about 17 years now. And it was maybe eight or 10 years ago, I was at a neighborhood picnic gathering. And I was talking to a woman who lived in my neighborhood. And she asked me what I did for a living. So I said, I'm a pastor. And without dropping a beat, she said, oh, do people still do that? (laughs) And I said, yes, there are some of us out there that still do stuff like that. And I think she quickly kind of retracted and realized that wasn't a very nice thing to say. And (laughs) a very interesting conversation that followed. But what it made me realize, and you all know this very well, is that we live in a culture where people don't exactly have a category for church anymore. They don't really know what a church is, what, what, what happens here, what's supposed to happen here. So I thought we'd start off this morning just by brainstorming. The people you know, when you say church, what do you think comes in their mind? Go ahead and yell out a few answers. Building. Pastor. Okay, what else? A building. a building, yeah. Somebody over here? Jesus, that's good. A choir, a choir. nice. Abuse. Abuse, definitely. What else? What's that? Receiving basket. basket, Yeah. Collecting money. Stained glass windows. windows, Yep. Stained carpet too sometimes. What else? Music? Sunday school. school, Yeah. Liturgy? Somebody say again? Politics. Yeah. Christmas or Easter, born again, again. faith, Faith. murals, baptism, what's that? Funerals, sorry, funerals, yeah. One more over here. Confession, Confession. and what was that? Unity. Unity, community, community, yeah, good. So a lot of different things, and some of those are helpful, some of those are not helpful, and I think because we live in this world, this culture where it's not exactly clear what a church ought to be, what we want to do this morning is really address that question head on and try to answer why we are here. What is it that we're doing? Why did you come this morning? What is this community all about? What is the purpose for being a church? Because it's not at all assumed anymore. It's not something that people have grown up understanding. And even for a lot of us, we don't always know what is the reason that we exist. We've been in the middle of this series, working through the book of Acts, focusing on the evangelistic sermons within that book. We've heard uh, a bunch of different sermons. We heard um, Cormac tell us that there is room at the table for everyone. We heard Scott remind us to keep our eyes focused forward on the New Jerusalem. Paco helped us to remember to be bold. Dan reminded us to persevere with patience. And what we've seen throughout all these sermons is really kind of the the baby photo book of the first church. We've seen the church be born. That first sermon, we saw the Holy Spirit fall upon a group of disciples. They were speaking in tongues, and the church became a living organism 
on that day. And then later, it took its first steps and its first words. And it went to school. And we watched through all those sermons as the church grew up into what God intended it to be. So this morning, what we're going to do as a way of wrapping up this series is go back to the first chapter of Acts, before the church was born, where Jesus described what was about to happen. He told his disciples that something was going to happen, and he gave them the reason for it. We can think of it as the commission of the church. And if everything lines up well, what Jesus said in Acts 1 will remind us of the things we have seen over the last several weeks play out in the rest of the book of Acts. We will recognize the commission in the playing out of those early days of the church. The image I'd like for us to have in our mind is that of a still lake on a quiet morning. Maybe there's a little bit of mist rising from the water. And someone takes a pebble and they throw it into that lake. It hits the water with a splash. And then what happens? Ripples flow outward from that point of entry. That's what we've seen over the last few months. That splash was the Holy Spirit coming down upon disciples. And what began that day is that the church became this community of people moving forward and moving outward. We've seen that throughout the book of Acts. And that commission that Jesus gave those people is the same commission that we experience today. We are part of the same ripples that have been moving throughout history. The church as the people of God moving forward and outward. So this morning, we're going to try to understand what are those purposes? What does that really look like? You're probably wondering exactly what I mean by forward and outward. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to begin with this passage from Acts 1 and really unpack those ideas. Then we're going to talk about some of the temptations that the church faces that might distract us from those movements. And finally, we'll try to apply that to us today. Think about what God is calling us as Peninsula Bible Church, where we are, and how he's moving in and through us. I have to say, this is kind of one of those unique sermons for me. We planned this a while back, and for a bunch of reasons, some reading I was doing and just thinking throughout the, the, the summer, this is one of those sermons that God has been writing in my head for months now. Every time I go for a run or do something, and I come back and I scribble down some notes. Um, so if you're interested, there is the director's cut of this sermon, which is about two hours long. Um, but I will not be giving that this morning. Fear not. Um, but I am excited. I, I think God has given us something. And as if to emphasize that, this morning I woke up, as I always do, and I, I do a read-through-the-Bible program in a year, and um, opened up the passage, and the passage for this morning was Acts 1. And I just thought that was God saying, hey, this, this is where I want you this morning, and I have something for you from this text for us. So let me pray and invite God to be really working through this text in our lives. God, thank you for these people gathered here in this room and online. Thanks for the way you work, for the way you have worked throughout history and the way you will continue to work and that we get to be a part of that. We praise you for small things like lining up Bible reading schedules and big things like 
bringing the church into existence. You work in the world in so many ways. This morning, as we dive into this text, I pray that you would open our eyes to what you want us to see as individuals and as a community. And I pray that you give us the courage and the vision and the empowerment to go forward with whatever it is you're calling us to do from here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're going to start by reading this passage. But before we do, I want to just put us in the right setting. End of the Gospels, Jesus, of course, rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. And in the beginning of Acts, we hear that he spent about 40 days discussing the kingdom of God with his followers. After that, they still apparently have some questions. This is where we pick it up. Acts 1, beginning in verse 6. So when they had come together, that is the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said those things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we can notice, first of all, that our passage begins with a question. The disciples want to know something about the kingdom of God. And Jesus, as he often does, kind of answers that question, but he also corrects them and reorients their perspective towards what they're asking. And what Jesus does is he puts the disciples on both a timeline and on a map. See, Jesus says these words, and then he's taken up into heaven, into the cloud. And as the disciples are looking on, these men standing there, presumably angels, say to them, Jesus will return in the same way. So there are these two pillar events, Jesus' leaving and Jesus' return. And what Jesus does is he, he establishes all of the history inside of that timeline. And this makes sense because while Jesus taught on this earth, he told lots of stories about people who left only to return. He told a story about a wealthy owner who built a vineyard and then let it out to people, went away and then came back to see how they had done. He told a story about a king who gave each of his servants a certain amount of money and said, do something useful with this while I'm gone, and he came back expecting a return. So this timeline of in between Jesus' departure and his return is the timeline that the disciples began, and it's the same timeline that we live within right now. We live between those two great moments. And so to say that the church is moving forward is to say that we are oriented toward that moment when Jesus will return. That is the destination that we are headed toward. But he also placed them on a map. 
He said, you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, which is where they were standing at that moment, but then also in all Judea. That refers to the rest of the Jewish land and the rest of the Jewish people. And then he adds in Samaria, which would be the, the half Jews, those who were kind of Jewish, but not really, and they were a little bit on the border. And he closes by talking about the end of the earth, and that would be everybody, Gentiles, unbelievers, anybody from any land, everywhere. And so the geography moves outward, but it's not just a physical geography, it's also a, a demographic outwardness, because as the region gets bigger, the kinds of people get bigger as well. More and more diversity, more and more kinds of backgrounds are included into the work of God. So that's what we mean when we say that the church is moving forward along a timeline and outward on a map. Here's how a theologian by the name of Leslie Newbegin describes it. He says, the church is the pilgrim people of God. It is on the move, hastening to the ends of the earth to beseech all men to be reconciled to God and hastening to the end of time to meet its Lord who will gather all into one. Therefore, the nature of the church is never to be finally defined in static terms, but only in terms of that to which it is going. We are a dynamic community, always changing, always growing, on the move to the ends of the earth and to the end of time. The theological words to describe this, if you like big words, are we are missional. We are about the mission of God, which moves outward. And we are eschatological. That's a fancy word that refers to the end of time. We are oriented towards the end of history, when Jesus will return and complete his work of redemption. So let's go a little bit deeper and talk about each of these two categories. What does it really mean then? How does it guide us as a people to think about moving forward and moving outward. Well, first of all, whenever you're part of any community, there is always this tendency to compare the community that you're a part of to some community that would be better. So there's this tendency to say, you know, this group of people, whether it's a church or a family or a company or a neighborhood, this group of people is like this, but I'd really rather them be like that. Isn't this what we do? We always have some vision of how things could be better, how our current circumstance could be improved. And the question I want us to think about is, what is the standard we use to determine that better state? To what are we comparing our current experience in order to make it better? Now, if you've been part of a community for a long time, it's very natural to compare your current experience in a community with the past experience in community. And to say, well, well, you know, I wish it were like it used to be. If you're new to a community, it's very common to compare your current community to some group you used to be a part of before then. You know, my old company did it a whole lot better than my new company, that kind of thing. But if we are the biblical church, then the standard that we compare ourselves to is always the future. It is what God is doing in history. And it is this new people of God that he is creating at the end of time that will fully 
and completely represents who he is. So we are on the move, moving forward towards what Scott described a few weeks ago as the new Jerusalem. And it's not just an individual experience, but it is a community of people, the people of God, a city, a kingdom. It is a group of people. And what we know about that community is that it is diverse. Revelation describes it as from every tribe and language. It is centered around the worship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is at its core. And it is characterized by a radical love for each other. It's hard to summarize what that community looks like with a single word, but the best word we have is love. Unfortunately, that makes it sound like a Hallmark card because love is just, it doesn't mean all that we want it to mean. But that's why the Bible is full of stories of people who were in debt who had their debt forgiven of sons who insulted their fathers and went away, but came back to open arms, of people with lifelong infirmities that were healed and given freedom. It's why the Bible has letters written to communities to say, how does a loving community actually play out in the details? It's why at the end of the Bible, we have these visions, apocalyptic visions that that are hard to understand, but create something within us that calls us and resonates with us. Because we're trying to figure out what does this people of God, this kingdom, this city of love look like? And we can't describe it in a single word. We have to use visions and stories and letters to somehow get at the beauty of what that's going to be. So for us then, We are that community moving towards a diverse community centered around Jesus, characterized by love. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 13. He says, so now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I think the reason he says that is because love is the one that persists throughout eternity. Faith is about where we are now, helping us to know who God is and how he's at work. Hope is about giving us confidence for the future, but love is eternal. Our eternal existence will be characterized by love. How many of you have seen a young child taking their first steps? Or very early steps, yeah. You see that and you think, this person is a terrible walker. Don't you think that? You think, man, they are so unstable. What is wrong with them? They're falling every third step. I mean, you're just full of criticism, right? Isn't that your experience? No, when when, when we see a child walking, they're unstable, they're falling, they're wobbly, they look weird, but we can see the future in the present. We can see what they will become based on what they are doing. And so we celebrate those very wobbly, very hesitant steps because we know in time they will walk confidently. Then they'll run, then they'll dance, then they'll jump. We can see that even though the current experience isn't very impressive. 
Thought now would be a good time to introduce you to a new child. This is Elias Parker. Cormac and Jasmine Parker Jr.'s their baby. Elias was born on September 1st, uh, two days ago, and everybody's doing great. And I had, uh, it's about the time in the sermon where a lot of you lose, lose your attention span. So I thought, you know, throw up a picture of a newborn, and I thought I'll get you back paying attention. So we can celebrate Elias and uh, move on. So we as a community, <laughs> exactly. We're like that, 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 that baby taking its first steps. You know, we're, we're okay at loving each other. We're not great, we're not terrible. But if you have eyes to see, then you can see in us those early steps learning to love, and you can see what Jesus is doing in the future. That's what it means for us as a community to be walking forward towards what God is doing. Well, what then does it mean to be looking outward? How do we think about that? The community in Acts, we witnessed as they began in Jerusalem, they started moving outward geographically, and eventually by the end of Acts, they were in the town of Rome, and they literally went to the end of the earth. We saw the gospel move outward. We saw more and more people, more and more kinds of people being included. Now, we're not talking about growing a church. We're not talking about attendance or budget or any of that kinds of things. We're talking about the kingdom of God expanding to include more and different kinds of people. It's the vision that Hosea saw. Listen to Hosea 2, verse 23. He said, I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. When the church moves outward, people who are not included become included. People who have not experienced the mercy and love and peace of a life with Christ are shown mercy. That's what it means to say that outsiders become insiders. And those who haven't experienced something get to experience it. The church is never complete. We will never get to a point where we can look around this room and say, I think we're good. Let's close the doors and we'll just keep doing this forever. That is not who we are. That's not the kind of community that centers itself around Jesus. We are always looking for people on the fringe. We are always looking to welcome people in. And at the cross, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, everyone is welcome. We welcome LGBTQ plus and homophobes. We welcome people wearing Make America Great hats and people who are Marxist liberals. We welcome socialists and libertarians. We welcome old people and young people, addicts and people who have life together. We welcome people that live in Palo Alto and Mountain View. We welcome <laughs> everyone. Everyone comes to the cross, but no one is left unchanged when they do. Because when you come to the cross, your life gets transformed. Your patterns, your habits, 
all of your thoughts about finances and sexuality and personality and ambition and impact on the world and love and forgiveness, everything gets changed by the encounter with Jesus. He welcomes us in, but he doesn't leave us in the same place as he finds us. We are transformed by Jesus' life within us. Notice, too, that Jesus said, you will go out in concentric circles. He didn't say, more and more people will come to Jerusalem. The movement of the church is outward. And I think we can summarize that by three simple words. We go there. Wherever there is, we go there. We don't expect them to come here. We go there. Maybe that's the tech companies of the Bay Area. Maybe that's the schools. Maybe it's hospitals. Maybe it's all around the world, different countries, developing parts of the world. Maybe it's our families. Wherever the people are, wherever anyone is, we go there. And when we do, we carry our experience of Christ with us. We are witnesses in all of those places, and those ripples of the gospel spread out as the church grows to include more and more people. This is what we mean to say that the church moves forward and outward. We are on the move to the ends of time when God will establish his kingdom, and we are on the move to the ends of the earth to include more people in this community. So now we have to ask, if that's the case, if we are always moving forward and outward, what are we tempted to do? What what can make it hard to do that? And just as we're called to move forward and outward, we can be tempted as a community instead to look backward and inward. Rather than looking forward towards what God is doing in the future, we can use the past as our standard of measure. And rather than looking outward at more and more inclusiveness, we can look inward and be consumed by our own needs. So let's unpack a little bit about what that means. And what we're doing here is we're asking the question, how do we look backward and inward well? Because we're not called to ignore our own needs or pretend that the past didn't happen, but we need to figure out as a people, how do we keep our perspective forward and outward while we look inward and look backward in a healthy way? So let's think first about what it means to look backward. How do we consider the past? This is a really important question for us since next week we will celebrate 75 years as a church. It's an incredible celebration to to acknowledge that God has been faithful and worked in powerful ways in this community. And as we do that, what we're thinking of is not man, we have been amazing for 75 years. We, are, we, got, we got to be the smartest church. We got to have the best methods. We're probably the best looking people around. I mean, that's not what we're doing next week. We're saying God has been faithful among us. And so looking backward well has to do with something about recognizing God's work. 
We've spent some time in the book of Exodus recently, and so I thought these two little snippets from Exodus might help us. Because if you remember, when Moses first led the people of God out of slavery into the desert, they weren't exactly thankful. Here's what they said in Exodus 14, verse 12. They said that Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt? Sorry, I'm going to jump forward to verse 12. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They were looking backward and they said to Moses, our life was better as slaves in Egypt than as wanderers in the desert. And in a lot of ways, that's true. But what they didn't realize is that they were comparing their present to the past. And they didn't have the vision to say what God is doing in the future is better than both the present and the past put together. See, for them, it had to get harder before it got better. And that led to this temptation to compare themselves to the past rather than to be confident in what God was doing in their future. So a chapter earlier, Moses had reminded them to do just this. Listen to Exodus 13, verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. He gave them this ritual to remind them that the Lord had done something in their midst. And so when we look backwards well, we remember that God is faithful, and that gives us the confidence to know that he will continue to be faithful. Here's how the author of 1 Chronicles puts it. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 15 reads, Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. Think about what the author is saying here. He's saying, you find yourself here, remember that God gave a covenant about the future. Remember the promises. And so we look backwards to know that God is faithful, and that always gives us hope and confidence for what God will continue to do. Looking backward well always fills us with confidence for the future. Because when we look backward, we recognize God's faithfulness, and we know that God holds the future. Here's a little like back of the napkin drawing that I thought might be helpful. You can imagine that we're kind of a community on this journey towards the New Jerusalem. And we're kind of twisting and turning. Sometimes we have some things right. Sometimes we have other things right. And we are here in the middle with the temptation to look backward and to think that it was better then. And to be honest, maybe some things were better then. But God is calling us forward. And we know that he will be faithful so we can look forward in hope, not because of anything that we are able to do, but because of who God is and how we know he is faithful. So rather than looking backward in nostalgia or reminiscence, we look backward to know the faithfulness of God in order to look forward with confidence. Well, what about inward? How do we deal with 
all of our various needs. How many of you here uh, have no needs right now? Let's see, any liars in the room? Okay, yeah. Not a single one of us ha has perfect relationships, a perfect sense of vision, you know, of our calling. We, 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 all of our finances are perfect. We, we, we're mentally health. We're just off the charts. Like, none of us are like that. Each of us has needs in this room. And that is a gross understatement. Because I know our needs. I know a lot of you. I know my own needs. There are marriages in crisis. There are people whose mental health is about to break. There are real financial burdens. There are health issues. There is faith questions. There are wounds, sometimes that go back generations, that fester and have yet to be healed. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that the needs in this room today are virtually infinite. So if our approach were, we're going to fix all of us, and once we're good, then we'll go out, we'd never get around to going out. Our needs will never be met. And if our priority is to meet our own needs first, we will get sucked into the vortex of our infinite need. But... For me to say, hey, your needs don't matter, just suck it up, you're doing fine, just, you know, put on your big boy shoes and let's go out in the world, that's not going to work either. Because some of us are broken, some of us aren't ready. So how do we balance that tension of looking inward well in a way that helps us to look outward? Here's another theologian, her name is Lois Barrett, and uh, this is what she says. If I can find it in my notes. She says, the church represents the divine reign as its sign and foretaste. Let me unpack that a bit. So the church is representing the reign of God as a sign. Throughout the Bible, when, when signs are done, they usually point to something that could be. So Jesus heals people and he points to a, a world where healing is universal. So we as the church point towards the day when God's reign will be complete. That's us going outward. But we also are a foretaste of it. We also experience some of it today. We're like that little child taking early baby steps. We can see love and health and peace growing in our midst. And because we see a little bit of it now, we're able to proclaim a lot of it in the future. Those two things have to go together. If all we do is focus on ourselves, we'll become ingrown and unhealthy. If all we do is try to change the world, we'll become exhausted and burned out. The one feeds the other. And together, the church as a sign and a foretaste moves outward as it grows in health. That's what happens when God works within us. Now, one of the reasons why it's easier to look backward and inward is because it's more concrete. We know what the past was, so it's a lot easier to compare ourselves to the past than to look towards the future. And we know what our needs are, so it's easier to focus on them than the needs of people that maybe we haven't even met yet. But that's where faith comes in. That's where God gives us vision. 
And the Spirit works in us to open our eyes, not just to what we know, but to what God can see. So as we begin to apply this to ourselves as Peninsula Bible Church in the 21st century, we have to start by remembering that critical truth, the Spirit's role in all of this. Let's go back to the passage and just read verse 8 again. This is Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So it is the Spirit who comes upon this group of people, and he does not push them to do something. He transforms them into being something different. He makes them witnesses. The Spirit is the one who works. The Spirit is the one who is on the move forward and outward. Our calling is simply to keep in step with the Spirit along that journey. Peninsula Bible Church, this is not our burden to bear. This is not our job to do. This is not a list of tasks. This is not a motivational speech. It's a reminder that God is in our midst, that the Spirit is here, and the Spirit's on the move. And so we are called then to stay in step with the Spirit and watch what happens. Remember, we are the pilgrim people of God. We are on the move to the ends of the earth and to the end of time. This is who we are. This is our identity. So my invitation to us then, as we reflect on this, is to ask what the Spirit is doing now. Look around. The people you know, the people that are here, the people that aren't here, what could be in the future. What do you see the Spirit of God doing? And ask yourself the question, how can I join in that? You will know that it's the Spirit of God if the Spirit is moving you forward and outward, because that's the direction the Spirit's going. How can you join in that? We are not a static group. We're not just a club you join and enjoy membership forever. We are a dynamic body, ever-changing, ever-growing, ever-asking how God is working among us and eager to find out what the next step is. Veronica shared with you about our Explore God series and about these cards we have. We are really eager to see how God will work through this series. As a reminder, the, the goal of this series is twofold, to equip those of us who know Jesus here to be able to think well and answer well these questions, and also to engage with folks who are seeking, who, who want to know how to think about God well. And so these sermons will be opportunities to dive deeper into each of those topics. And I'd encourage you, as Veronica did, to grab one of these cards, to, to share it with somebody, to use this to pray about the series, and to ask, where is it that the Spirit's moving you toward? What's going on in your world, and how is God working? Well, given all of this information, I'm going to be better prepared at my next neighborhood party. When somebody comes out to me and says, are you a pastor? And I say, yeah. And they say, oh, do people still do that? I'll say, yes, absolutely. There are still people whose 
primary job it is to shepherd a community of people who are moving forward to the end of time and outward to the ends of the earth in hopes of becoming a community centered around worship on God, characterized by love, and a diverse group of people all in the arms of God. It's a good answer, right? And they will say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go talk to that person. <laughs> but this is who we are. This is what God has done among us. And if you don't know Jesus, if you, if you don't count yourself as a follower, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to help answer what questions remain, to, to pray for what, what God is doing in your life that brought you here this morning or watching online, because it is an adventure. It is an incredible journey to walk with the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of the universe and to watch lives get transformed, to watch worlds get transformed, to watch a community of people grow in love, become more centered around Jesus and more oriented towards the world that they live in. Well, it would be cruel to send you on a journey with empty bellies which is great, because we have a meal now that will give us fuel for the journey that we are about to go on. And this is really what the Lord's table is. This is a celebration, a, a ritual, a remembrance that Jesus gave his followers. And we can really think of this meal as something that helps us to move forward and to move outward. Because when Jesus initially gave this meal, this is what he said. This is Luke 22. Verse 16, he said, um, take this, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. See, Jesus says, take this food, we're here today, and I'm not going to drink it again for a long time, but I will when I come back. And so by taking this meal, we place ourselves on that timeline in between Jesus' departure and his return. And this becomes the fuel that sustains us as we move forward. But it also is what sends us outward. Because how this is going to work, a little bit of logistics here, you'll be dismissed in the center section to come down the aisle by ushers. You'll, you'll take the wafer and you'll dip it in the juice. If you want gluten-free, there's those little single-serve packets. You can grab one. And having come forward to the cross, you'll then go outward. You'll go back to your seats, and then you'll get in your cars, or bikes, or scooters, or one-wheelers, or whatever you took to get here, and you'll go to your houses. And tomorrow, you'll go to the beach, or have a picnic, or a barbecue, and then Tuesday, you'll go to work, or school, or your community center, or whatever it is, and you will take this, you will take Christ, the body and blood of the Savior, you will take him out from here. So as we come forward, uh, may you experience that. May you experience the presence of Christ within you. May you count it as fuel for walking faithfully forward. And may it empower you as you take the gospel out. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Thanks for this church. Thanks for this place. For the 75 years that you've worked in this place through a particular group of people, and for however long you plan to work through this particular organization, group of people, we're grateful that your spirit is here, your spirit indwells us and empowers us, and 
that as we walk faithfully with you, we will go outward and forward and we will see things we never thought possible. Father, as we come together, knit us together around the person of Jesus so that we can carry that message to the world. We pray all this in love for you. In the name of Jesus, amen.